Welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science, the stuff that we're putting on our feet. Man, it was a good week last week. We didn't have DJ with us, so we had we were a little more focused. So he's back, which is great. He's fe- You're feeling better, DJ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling okay. It's fine. Really, the only thing for me personally was difficulties with sleeping. Like, that's oh, really? actually what ultimately took me in. Yeah, so... I would lay down horizontally and then like I would get these coughing attacks like that. But but like daily stuff and being upright like that was all fine. But yeah, well, good. We're actually really glad to have you back. So the gang is back together. We have our normal three people at the round table. We got David, we got Matt and we have myself. Uh, Today is episode number 74 of the round table. We are going to be talking about a lot of fun things. We're going to have our weekly question, which we decided what we're going to call that segment. We'll I'll reveal that in a little bit. And we're going to be having a conversation regarding different types of running shoes, why these categories may exist. Are they even worth it? We're going to kind of try to play both sides of that conversation. And and then we're going to review a line of shoes that we've been able to be testing here recently at Doctors of Running. And we'll get to that one at the end. So that's kind of the outline of the week. In the meantime... If you guys could, please, uh, the, the viewership has been awesome. It's been going up. It's been fun to grow this community. And uh, what really helps grow our, the people's awareness of what's going on here and grows our reach with the podcast is if you guys leave a review. So if you take 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds to go do that, we'd really appreciate it. It would really help push forward what we're trying to do here with the podcast. Uh, and we have some really fun uh, interviews that we're starting to set up with different researchers in the field that we're just super pumped about. So we we think that we're hopefully going to be bringing some really good stuff. Your support has allowed us to do this and push this forward. And if you continue to want to help us by leaving a review, that'd be a huge, huge deal. So we're going to go into our first segment, which we are calling the subjective. So the reason we're calling it the subjective, it's basically our weekly question. If you're a physical therapist and you've been following us, you know why, you know what that means. The subjective is when somebody comes into our office, the first thing we do is we start asking them questions, just kind of gathering how they're doing, how they've responded to treatment. If it's our first time asking a bunch of questions to them. So our weekly question is our subjective. So welcome to the segment called the subjective. And we have our question for you this week. Our question is a fun one. It's what is your favorite shoe that you've worn for a race for either a half marathon or above? So half marathon, marathon, some kind of ultra. What's your favorite shoe that you've worn for that distance? You can respond to this either on our YouTube. We, we post the whole podcast on YouTube or we also have it listed on Spotify. So if you listen through Spotify, there's a place to interact in the community there. So because this podcast is growing, we do want to increase our interaction with you guys as our listeners and use your feedback and your experiences to help shape what we do. So this is kind of one way to do that. And so respond to our subjective question. Cool. Do you guys have an answer to that question? Your favorite shoe that you've raced half marathon or farther in? I think Klein has more experience in this, uh, in these distances than I do. So I'll, I'll let him go first. No, David, you go first. Cause I'm, I'm still processing. I'm going through all the different ones. I've done. <laughs> he, he saw right through me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, the viewers know I like the Alpha Fly. <laughs> it's a solid shoe. It's a little bit heavy for a racing shoe, but the responsiveness is undeniable. So it's it's a good shoe. With that said, I really like the Asics Metaspeed Sky as well. It's a shoe that took time to grow on me. Did you race in that one yet? Actually, and yet? I haven't actually okay. raced in it. That's the yeah. thing. 
Because you did so the Audios like, Pro 2 for a different race. I raced in the Audios Pro 2 for a different race, and it was good. There's, I have no problems with the Audios Pro 2. Like, literally all of these top-shelf racers are all pretty solid. I think the two shoes I'm most interested about actually racing in that I haven't raced in would be the Metaspeed Sky and the Deviate Nitro Elite. Those are the two that I really just want to see how it turns out. Yeah. And in that four-mile race I did right before CIM, the only reason why I raced in the Vaporfly was because that's what I was testing at the time. Right. I probably would have went meta speed, honestly, if I didn't have the Vaporfly. So I, I'm still trying to figure that answer out myself. But yeah, I do like the Alpha Fly, it, but it does give me some midfoot irritation. I've said that before. And so, like, beyond, like, I don't know, like, 14, 15 miles or so, when you get in those later miles, I do start to get some pain in my foot. Not, not like, significant. Like, I can finish the race yeah, if need be, but it's not the most comfortable. So, like, for half marathon, I feel like I go alpha fly, but I'm still trying to figure out that marathon answer. Yeah. And that was, like, my debut, like, fast marathon, like, yeah, in December. So I, I don't have that much experience beyond half marathon so right i'm still trying to figure out that answer but i feel like for half marathon you can get away with a lot so yeah just kind of whatever's comfortable and responsive cool i think uh for me you know i just ran my most recent marathon which i met a big goal for it in the um saucony endorphin pro 2 and i loved it but actually i think the shoe that i my favorite shoe that i've raced in was actually a half marathon i did back in 2020 it was like the week when the world shut down. So like my race was on, like was going to be live the Tuesday leading up to that Saturday. And it got canceled between Tuesday and Saturday. Like that's, that was the time frame that it was in. So I did it virtually by myself uh, and my, my sister-in-law, we both were running the same one together, but uh, I actually ran in the Skechers Speed Elite. And there was yeah, something about, there was something about being in like a super aggressive, with that, just like a, a sharp toe spring, really rigid forefoot, lower stack. I felt like I like earned that half marathon. And that was a big goal race too. I wanted to break an hour and a half and I did. And so right now I think that I had more fun racing in that shoe than I did running the marathon in the Endorphin Pro. So I'm going to say the Skechers Speed Elite. It's interesting you say that. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to cut Matt off. I'll keep it really short. I promise. But my PR is actually in the Gomeb Speed 6. And, like, how lightweight that shoe is and that flexible forefoot, like, it's just a fun shoe to run in. And I do kind of miss those old school, just lightweight racing shoes. And I think I'm still trying to find that. Would you finish that one in? Uh, 108. 108. Yeah, 108. or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's 108 right. 108 mid. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Matt, what do you got? You've you've raced the most of all of us. So I was actually going to say the Skechers Speed Elite as well. Oh, um, no way. The, being, because I haven't really raced long distances recently with the pandemic, especially with PhD. So the Speed Elite still has like a lot of my major long distance PRs. So that's what I ran LA in. Um, even though I didn't do as well, this is the first semester of my PhD. I also ran CIM in that same shoe. Um, that was more me than the shoe. So, and then I've used it for several half marathons. So the Speed Elite... Be, you know, it's a great shoe and I've really enjoyed it. I kind of, I have a couple, I have a pair left. Um, just haven't raced uh, longer distances recently. Right. So we'll have to see what I choose that over some of the new stuff. 
you know, it's still stable enough for me, but I think there's some other options I might have to try now if I did jump into a half or full marathon. I want you to run a marathon and see what you choose. Because I, I don't know if you would choose the Sky or the Adios Pro 2. I feel like you'd choose the Adios Pro 2. I, I would yeah, only because I've, I've done some longer tempos in the Metaspeed Sky, and it's a great shoe. It's just not... When you get into that, that like, 10 to 13 range, that's during my longer efforts, like, tempo efforts, I've been like, yeah, this isn't quite stable enough for me at, with my mechanics at this time. Whereas the Audios Pro, I could just keep... The Audios Pro 2, I could just keep going, so... Yeah, but for trail, I would definitely take Metaspeed Sky <laughs> again. Random question. Takumi Sen 8, half marathon, yay or nay? I'm curious to hear what Matt says. I haven't tested I think, that shoe. I think depending on, because of my background and what I'm used to racing in, yes, I, I would do that. It's, there's plenty of cushioning for me. Other people with what they've been used to now, you're going to have to see what your body can tolerate. No, that's I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's one of the shoes that's in the back of my brain for my next half whatever it is like i'm like this shoe is snappy and fast and i like that lightweight feel i feel like some of these shoes are getting a little too chunky like even the alpha fly still is a lot of shoe i will acknowledge that yeah and like i noticed that there's moments where i'm like i kind of want a little less and the takumi sen gives me that so yeah i just thought i'd bring that up Let's be real about Takumi Sen. It's not a minimal racing flat. It's still got like 30 no. something millimeters. Neither is the streak fly. The streak to- fly totally. is like, exactly. what, 32 millimeters in the heel or 33, whatever it is? Yeah, like, they're not minimal. <laughs> that's not minimal. Are there any minimal racing flats still out there? I mean, I know like Ultra has one that's probably being discontinued with. Is the five the, still being What about Saucony? They have the fast switch. Is that is that done? Yeah. I, yeah. Is that over? I I feel I like know. that's probably going to be Nike discon- still makes a streak LT. The Streak LT does yeah, still exist. It does. I haven't seen it at races as often. Well, no, because everyone races in vapor flies now. But yeah, like, I'm trying to think myself. I'm like, uh, I don't really think they're being. There's not really a market for it right now. New Balance that's okay. 1500 is that is that still around? That doesn't. Uh, that's not alive. I think there's some pairs left. I don't think that's that's in production. But don't quote me on that. Yeah, like the minimal racing flat is like dead. Like before we move on to our next segment, though, I need to call everybody out. All of you, all of everyone, all, everyone who's listening. I needed help with the ginger ale situation versus ginger soda versus ginger beer. And I didn't get any help. So uh, come on. What's this? What is the good of this podcast if we can't even figure that out together? I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. But we're going to move on to our next segment. This is uh, going to be a fun conversation i think we have a little bit different opinions potentially on some of this stuff this is definitely one of those areas where running shoes in the industry start to become categorized and it's somewhat arbitrary there isn't really like true definitions of these things so we're going to talk about the difference between a trainer between a performance trainer and between a racing flat. You're seeing companies kind of coming out with these kind of releases where you have a trainer that's paired for a performance trainer, which is paired with a racing flat. Probably the, maybe one of the first ones to come out was really the endorphin line where you had the shift, the speed and the pro where you had this kind of clean marketing of, Hey, we're going to have these three shoes that are stacked on top of each other for trainer, performance trainer, racer, um, and there are, there are others. So we're going to go into that, but first, before we talk about specifics, David, how would you define each of those categories? First, I want to say, I think Adidas did it first. 
They probably did. With the boost lineup. So they had the glide boost and or energy boost. Then they had the Boston as their performance trainer. And then they had the Adios boost as their racing flat and or marathon flat. That was like the big racing flat before Vaporfly and all that. Uh, they, they were doing. They were doing that. They were doing bo- the Boston Audios thing even long before Boost. But totally, right? totally, yeah, yeah. But I was saying like when everybody had the same midsole and it was pretty like like delineated. Like this is for this, this is for this, and this is for this. You know what I mean? It was packaged that way with Adidas. Pretty much. I mean, like Boston was like the Addy Zero trainer. Like that was like the the performance trainer. Wasn't like, it the bot? Wouldn't it be like the racer? Wasn't it the racing like marathon racer? No, no, the Audios was. The Audios has always been the racer up until recently. Yeah, but the the Boston was a classic shoe that many, and we'll get into this in the to definition. run marathons in a, a lot yeah, of race people, in the Boston. Yeah. Yes, but the Audios was the lower profile like racing option. So like, yeah, Wilson Kip yes. saying when he ran two hundred three, and that was the world record at the time. That was in the Audios boost. So like that was that was kind of the premier shoe. It was either that or the Nike Streak. Right. And uh, this 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 right here shows the arbitrary nature of definite like of these categories, right? And so if you had to define them, David, what would yeah. you say? Like if you had to define trainer, performance trainer, racer. Yeah, I think if I'm like you almost have to oversimplify it to make a definition. But, like, trainer is your daily shoe, your easy mileage, your workhorse shoe. You're going to spend a bulk of the time in that shoe. That's going to be a lot of your mileage. The performance trainer is, to me, what you do a lot of, like, say, your long runs in or, like, your long road workouts in. It's a lightweight, pretty responsive shoe, but it's still a training shoe. You wouldn't grab it for race day. Like, that's a shoe that's a training companion in some senses to what you would actually race in. With that said, I mean, in the shorter intervals and when you get closer to races, like, you start wearing those racing shoes more often, so that way you're familiar with what it feels like and that it's not a shock to your system. But the racing shoe is the special day, lightweight, profile. Like, that's the the most responsive shoe that you're going to wear, but you may not want it on your feet all the time. Um, the water or the mud, like it certainly gets really muddy now. Everybody mixes these categories up very much. So like every company is doing it and that line is blurred so much more than it used to be. But in the way people use it, blurs it even more. Exactly. Cause I'm, I'm doing a lot of my workouts in racing flats, you know, yeah. like, and I'm doing so, a lot of my shop shopping in vapor flies. Yeah, so <laughs> there you go. Why not? Um, I mean, I filled up my water and uh, like a, my five gallon water jug. I filled those up in vapor flies today, but that was also because I was running in vapor flies right before filling up the water. But that was, <laughs> but just, just for so contrast sake, might as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's ultimately what I would say. You have your daily trainer, your workhorse. Majority of the miles, easy mileage, not really meant to be super responsive, but it gets the job done. And then you have your performance trainer, like say in the Hoka line, everybody is kind of talking about the Mach 4, like that lightweight kind of snappy performance trainer that can do a little bit of everything. If you really wanted to do daily training, you can, but it doesn't 
necessarily that's not the main job, but it can be fast. It can do the things you need it to do off the track. I mean, you can, but like usually those long road yeah. workouts. Matt, do you have any do you have any addendums to that? Like, is there anything you would either add or like disagree with, or did you agree with David's thoughts? I, th- I think I mostly mostly agree. I think the challenge is that this kind of varies depending on the person. And where I think the performance trainer comes in is it's a shoe that can kind of go both ways. It's a shoe that can go, that can move, but it's also one that just has just enough for daily training, although not everyone might like it for daily training. That's where it's going to vary. There are going to be several people who like lighter weight shoes, and they might like that as a daily trainer, so it's going to depend on the person. And then there's some people who, you know, maybe a racing class too aggressive, and their racing shoe is the performance trainer. So... I feel like performance trader maybe isn't even the right word. Maybe it's not named correctly, but, you know, um, I think that would just probably be my big thing. I think my biggest comment about that is people look at the racing flats now and they're like, oh, I have to have that. And I encourage a lot of people just racing flat means aggressive. And I think that you need to focus on performance. And when that might mean for you, a performance trainer might do better depending on your experience, depending on your injury rate, things like that. So, yeah, I think that'd be the only brief thing I would add. Nathan, what, what would, would you add anything? Would you add denim anything? No, I think I think these categories are are in flux because what, what I would categorize as a certain shoe, like I wouldn't, I would use Mach Four as a daily trainer, right? Um, but somebody else might totally categorize it differently. And so I think it, I think my, I think the point in talking about definitions of these and the delineation is that it's so muddy. It's a continuum of shoes and it's personal preference for a lot of things. Uh, but we are going to talk about other, other things, you know, why, why you may or may not want to train in certain things or not. What were you going to say, DJ? Aggressive usually is for lack of better words, hard on your body. Um, responsive, fast, light, snappy, but something you don't want on your feet longer than you have to. And it's usually something that you have to train up to. I mean, the perfect definition is a track spike. When you look at track spikes, you have to train You have to train up to those. No matter how experienced you are, if you go from not wearing them at all and then you go and blast a 5K out in them, if you're not sore after that race, I don't like you must have calves of steel. Like <laughs> And that's the challenge is a lot of these new racing shoes have muddied those waters because they're not as aggressive. You know, the old stuff, the old racing flats were very close to the ground, very low drop, and they wanted light as possible. Now they're super cushioned, and you're seeing people train and this is and people were training the minimalist stuff, but that was a small group. Now you see like everyday runners, new runners training in that stuff. And you're like, okay, how do we redefine this? Because, and we don't know how our bodies really respond to those. So. Yeah. And the racing flats nowadays, they are, they're not even close to as quote unquote aggressive as they used to be. I mean, you used to be sore from races. Like you would race, you'd be done for like a good two, three days. And now it like you could run a half marathon and run the next day in some situations, depending on the person, because of some of these footwear now, some of the old, developments. Old school racing flats were, we talk about aggressive, 
They were designed to be as light, as low, as stripped down as possible. And you would be more beat up running in that shoe than you would in your trainer because there's just less to it. Whereas now, the actual goal of a lot of these designs is to create an environment that you're less beat up at the end of it. So it's almost a flip of the aggressive nature with the with these racing flats. And maybe that's where some of the definition has would change there from what... Yeah, there we go. So not a North American offering. I'm sorry, Mizuno. I, but... <laughs> We, but um, this is an example of like a traditional racing flat. Very minimal. It's a flat, quite literally. Pretty flexible forefoot. It's all you. And it's lightweight. I mean, this thing is like maybe five ounces. I, I can't remember what the weight on these are. Um, but they're really light, really snappy, and they're fast. But they're not the most protective in the world. And so, so I think that that part of defining with, with what a racing flat is... Now it's it's the shoe that is most appropriate to help you perform the best on race day. Maybe is is what a racing right. flat a racing shoe is now versus I would, something I would that's add, aggressive. Yeah. I, I would add for the elites. And the only reason why I add that is because when the marketing of these companies come into play, the people that are wearing these shoes are your like Elliot Kipchoge, they are your Joshua Cheptegay. There are your Wilson Kipsangs. They're um, Molly I'm blanking Seidel. right now. Molly Seidel for the Puma Deviant Nitro Elite. Like um, for Kibowak Candy for Adidas. Like you got guys that are racing in these shoes at very, very high levels. And they're obviously not like they're different than us. Like <laughs> there's a certain level where it's like, okay, this guy is running like a 440 mile for the entire way of a long distance road race versus someone else. So I think it's, it's a little bit of marketing, but it's a little bit of the demographic they're going for. Like this is a racing shoe geared for performance in high, high speed situations. At the same time, I do think it's interesting. Some of the, and they're going to, there's people working on more stuff in this, but there's still evidence that running at running in slower paces, you can still have, some of the like running economy benefit and even maybe more so at some of these other paces than you do at the elite paces, just because the margin for improvement there is smaller. Whereas, you know, if I'm running a three fifty, you know, like for my last jump in marathon, I went from a three fifty four to a three twenty nine. It looks like a huge PR, but really it's just like I trained a little bit longer. (laughs) And so I I think that there's maybe even more potential for benefit so I don't know. The elite thing's interesting. I'd have to chew on that. Well, and it's different now. I mean, the, the water is obviously much more muddy because this used to be something where the audio's boost, if you look at what that was before the modern advancements that we have now, that's still a pretty minimal shoe. Like, boost in itself was revolutionary to some degree by bringing a new proprietary midsole. That that was the most protective thing at the time. And that kind of started the footwear arms race, in my opinion, as to what we have now. But it was still pretty minimal. Like you wouldn't, most people wouldn't pick that up and be like, oh, I could train in this if you weren't already running. Whereas with a Vaporfly, like you could put that on and be like, oh, I can go run a five mile run in it. Like that's fine. Like just out of the box as someone who isn't a super big runner. You So a lot of these shoes are much more forgiving now. And so the water is much more muddy, and I just wanted to say that. I'll let Matt go. I know he's been itching to say something. 
aggressive has probably changed where, you know, some of the initial evidence we're seeing is there actually aren't any changes in injury rates, which we've talked about this before. So, again, maybe people aren't walking away as sore, right? There, there may be, you know, less eccentric load, stuff like that. We're not sure yet. But I think it just – and when we say aggressive, it's like this is the, like this is shoes you probably shouldn't be training in every day, right? So aggressiveness has changed. They're, most, it, most of them are fairly unstable, right? They're really not designed to run at, quote, easy paces. They're designed when you're trying to push the pace, right, just mechanically. Um, and Nathan mentioned there is some studies going on looking at what happens when you use this these at, you know, kind of more slower paces. So there's, there's stuff coming out. But add the plate in, add the toe spring. I think for the majority of the population, this is not something you should be using daily. This is special, right? This is your your you may not feel impact soreness, but you're still going to load a lot of other structures differently, right? So we're still seeing, at least in clinic, what I'm seeing people using this is still a lot of muscular strains, right? Because it's shifting load, a lot of hamstring stuff, depending on the shoe. So it might make you less sore, but I think the more like the stiffer, the more bouncy a shoe is and the lighter it is and the more unstable it is, that's where I would define aggressive now and go, you know, it's it's why I continue to argue that most people should not be training daily in this or the Vaporfly. And we already know that you should have at least like if you can afford it, one or two shoes, right? Just be able to switch off from. And these are just mechanically how they're designed is made to run as fast as possible, as efficiently as possible. And that may not be the best thing for your normal miles. Right. And anecdotally too, I'm seeing a lot more hamstring strains because of these and they do elongate your stride. They make you bounce a lot more than you normally would. And the main job of the hamstrings is to decelerate that femur as it translates anteriorly in the gait cycle when you're going fast. And if these shoes are changing your mechanics and you haven't trained up to that, that can be a problem. So I think that's good as a new definition. You know what I mean? Like it's hard on your body in a different way. I think you get less feedback about like when you ran in the old school racing flats, you knew the next day you're like, Oh my gosh, I am not touching those for another week. Whereas you don't feel that as much with these, which I think without that feedback, especially newer runners who don't know that and more experienced and elite runners do this just as much. I've seen this across the board, but the newer runner, I feel like because they may not know their bodies as well, they may not be able to pick up the signs and symptoms of going, you know, maybe today I need to back off or this would not be a good day to use this shoe. And that's why it's good to have a, a quote quiver of shoes, like just knowing, hey, this is an easy day. I just need something that can handle me like plodding along versus okay, now I'm going to try to move quicker. And a performance trainer is one that can blend the lines of going both directions, but not super far, I think, either one. But it depends on the person. So as always, it depends. Here's my next question for you guys. So the the, the lines are already blurred, but why? what would be the point of even having a performance trainer to begin with? Because you can run effort-wise, you can run hard and fast in a trainer. You could pick up a... Brooks Ghost or a, you know, Velocity Nitro or a Wave Rider or whatever, and you could get your daily miles in. You can also just go out and do a workout in them. Like, what's even, why, why even get a performance trainer? Is it actually worth it? And who is it worth it for if it is even worth it in the first place? Because I think that there are ways to look at this where, like, no, it's not worth it. And yeah, this is why it's worth it. So let's explore that. So that, I think it's the same reason you have the Endorphin Pro and the Endorphin Speed right 
Well, those would both be in the, like, that would be different from then, like, their ride or their, I'm saying, like, a tra- I'm going more like, what's the trainer versus a performance trainer? Why not just use, well, then why not just use the no, speed no, for I, everything? Or why not use the ride for everything? I'm with Klein on this one. I, I still delineate it as the speed is the performance trainer and the pro is the racer. And for Saucony specifically, it's that forefoot flexibility. That, that that it's a little bit more quote unquote forgiving in the speed in terms of from a mechanical standpoint that there's a little bit more give in the forefoot and that you may have a little less of that like sharp rocker and poppy forefoot that you may get in the pro I, I think like we said the water is really muddy but where I find the role I think it depends on the person but it depends on what you're trying to get out of your workout if you're looking at more of an effort-based thing, a trainer is fine. There's no problems with that. But I think part of racing is getting familiar with the pace that you're trying to race at. And so if you're like, let's say you're trying to run a 5K and normally your daily runs are 8.30, nine-minute miles and you want to break 17 in the 5K. It's going to be hard to run 530 miles when you're running in an A6 Nimbus 24 and you're not or used a Saucony to... ride or a Saucony although, ride. Although yeah. to, to Nathan's defense, that the Saucony ride has actually been a issue. I've been able to do workouts. <laughs> it's actually pretty awful. responsive for a daily trainer. Yeah, like there are some daily trainers that are quite responsive. But when you have a 10, 11 ounce shoe on your foot that's built for just logging miles it can be kind of hard to turn it over in. And like, yes, the word, the effort is there, but at the end of the day, you're not hitting the paces you need to be hitting. And your body from a neuromuscular standpoint should be nice to, to, to experience that and know what that cadence feels like. That's what I was going to ask you. Like why, you know, what, what value is there? Like, is it, if you, if you only ran in the Nimbus 24 and you didn't hit those paces, like what is the, you know, where where is the benefit difference there? Because you you might put in the physiological effort, so you could have the physiological changes that happen of you know building your aerobic and anaerobic endurance because you're putting in the effort, maybe even more so because you're wearing a heavier shoe that gives you less assistance on the run. But then you talked about neuromuscular there, so you have you know the neuromuscular, and I think there's other components like other components outside of just physiological, meaning your body has the you know you know demand from a cardiovascular standpoint and then muscular standpoint and then you have the neuromuscular which is that control the rhythm you know our brain we don't run based on thinking like okay straighten leg put heel down roll to forefoot we have these synergy patterns that our body just runs through it turns on and you run and so neuromuscular is huge obviously there's like getting used to it i think that falls in the realm of like our psychology and our comfort and our like confidence in doing things so if we can like put something on that feels similar to what we're going to put on a race day it's like simulating that and so maybe that's where it comes in as well i I could be wrong on this quote but i i believe it was otto bolden that was talking about bernard lagat like years ago during a race and he was saying speed kills and speed is a skill you got to train it you have to actually take the time and work on building speed up, and those shoes help. Those shoes help. I was just going to say, like, <laughs> devil's advocate, well, can't you just run faster in heavier shoes? 
Yeah, and controlled speed really kills. I remember that yeah, was one thing that really stuck with me. And the better you can do it, the better you can execute it, the better you're going to be in a race situation. It's like the same idea of practice like you play, right? Like it's, it. this is the running equivalent of that. And it's not as simple as like, let's say, some people do struggle with this. Let's take baseball, for example. And you take a guy and he's, he's on deck and he puts a weighted sling around the, the end of the bat there and he's taking swings and he's overweighting his bat so that way that when he swings, he'd be a little bit lighter. It's great if you practice that consistently, but some people do struggle with that because now they have almost like an overspeed on the bat and they're having to adjust while they're at bat with the pitcher throwing. So you don't want that to happen. So regardless of whatever the situation is, just make sure you practice it. Yeah, practice you. Your your if your racing shoe is a ghost that you're going to run your marathon in, you don't need to buy an endorphin speed for your speed days. Would you agree with that? Like if yeah, if of you're going to right, like yes. you you would want you would want a like comparison for your performance trainer to match your racing shoe of choice. There's a psychological, and I, I totally agree. There's a psychological component to having a solid daily trainer that's kind of a normal weight. And then when you put those lighter shoes on, as soon as you, you kind of helps you get into that mode of going, I'm going to be running faster. I'm going to be in a race environment. I'm going to, I'm going to be in a workout environment. But I think that also goes into the neuromuscular component of, yeah, the weighted bat analogy David used is good, but those are going to be di- have required different outputs from your neuromuscular system compared to actually just swinging the bat the coordination is different the force output is different speed power that is different so from a acclimation standpoint you want to be doing your workouts in a shoe that is most similar to what you plan to race in that's why when people ask me about going hey i want to try the vaporfly for my marathon i'm like okay you need to buy that early And you need to be making sure you can handle long runs in that. If you cannot handle long runs in that shoe, that may not be a shoe you might want to use. Or if you're really dead set on that, maybe you want something in between, like the tempo next percent. And that's where a performance trainer may come in going, hey, the the Vaporfly is too much for you to use for a lot of this stuff. And maybe you can handle some in between if you really want to use this for a race. But I think, again, Nathan mentioned this. This has gotten really muddled. But I would encourage people to look at performance trainers because I think for the majority of the population, not that I'm saying these carbon plated racers are bad. I'm just saying, you know, if your goal is to get to the end of the finish line and you you spend the majority of your time, like 90 plus percent in your training shoes, you may not want to go to a Vaporfly. You may want something that sits between those because your goal with a lot of people is to get to the finish line healthy. So I'm not, again, not saying card plated shoes are bad. They're just not appropriate for everyone. I know there's a lot of hype and that the performance trainer may be that nice middle ground when it comes to balancing things out. So the last thing I'm going to say on this topic, and then we're going to jump to our final section, um, is that, and maybe you guys will want to respond to this actually, but I think one of the things that I've thought about when it comes to performance trainers in the category of people who are using these you know, elite marathon racing shoes that have, you know, high stack with the P-backs, foam, all that kind of stuff. I do think that I would consider looking for a performance trainer that has a similar foam um, to that one, some kind of P-backs. And one of the reasons for that is because if these shoes are actually designed 
to decrease fatigue. You know, one of the one of the theories is that it decreases the amount of fatigue that your tendons and your muscles go through throughout a race. This isn't proven, but this is one of the the theories on why these things actually improve our running economy is because it decreases the amount of fatigue that and breakdown that your muscles and tendons and all that stuff go through throughout a long race. So if that's the case, I would say it would be more worth it to do all of your hard efforts in something that's going to allow you to recover more quickly because you have less breakdown. It wouldn't, and, and at the same time, I wouldn't say don't use that as liberty to do more training than you normally would do, but it would allow you to do the same amount of training with less breakdown of your body, which could potentially decrease injury risk. Does that logic flow make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you still got to train. You still got to build up to these things. Just because you got a new piece of footwear on your feet doesn't mean that you can just go run 30 more miles a week. Yes, don't use the, I, I, the a benefit lot of people to just do that. Do overtrain. Yeah, don't that's, overtrain just because you can. <laughs> that's one of the challenges of some of these these quote-unquote super shoes is they make you feel like you're invincible and you end up training more than you should. And maybe that's the argument going, hey, performance trainers are still relevant and maybe you should be using those because they won't be as – they won't they may not cause you to overreach as much just because there's still that trainer component to them. Right. Yeah. And there's some great ones out there. There are. And sometimes I almost prefer to wear a performance trainer for a workout, depending on what the workout is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Totally. Shoes are tools. They are. All comes back to that. All right. We're going to jump into our final segment, which is a shoe review, actually shoes review. We're going to look at a shoe lineup that we've been able to test. It is not not that one, David. David's whipping out all these like random shoes. But we're going to be talking about craft. So uh, we have been able to you know, use the CTM craft tailored motion shoes. There are three shoes that were sent to our team for testing. It's, and it kind of flows in this category where they have a trainer, then they have a performance trainer, and then they got a racing flat. It's a little different because it kind of is, yeah, you go ahead. Tell us why it's different. I'll let Matt go first. I just (laughs) like to say for craft for your marketing with this upper, um, no one in our chat like this, so I'm going to try this on the world. I'm sorry in advance, but I think a new hashtag craft could use is arts and craft. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just hey, I'm for it. How I, come I, I like didn't have hashtag. any of that support earlier when I posted that? I did not. Guys, I did not hate on that hashtag. No one. I did not. responded. Okay, people, comment below if you think that's good in craft. If crafts would use arts and craft as their like ha- go to hashtag, right? I'm a copyright. I did that. not right hate on that hashtag. <laughs> no one hashtag. responded. So, what was the question, Nathan? I'm sorry. <laughs> We're basically going to review these three shoes, and David was about to say why he doesn't think it really falls into that trainer. I just, I just wanted to go on right. the record. I did not hate on the arts and craft hashtag. No one said anything <laughs> and I felt very ignorant. I'm all for it. Oh, I'm sorry. Arts and craft. I'm all for mac and cheese as well. But, um, no, yeah, I think this is different because it's, the, it's more in the ultra community. This is yes. still a racing shoe. This is still very much a racing shoe. This meaning the CTM ultra. This is the CTM two. ultra carbon two. Now, it's not a racing shoe in the aspect that we think of 5K, 10K marathon, but their elites are running in these for 100 miles, 50 miles, you know, trail ultra races. Like, this is a racing shoe, but the design is completely different and for a different event. 
And so I think where that crosses over into, let's say, the more orthodox, normal running world where you're not an ultra runner is that this probably would be considered more in the performance trainer category for most people. But this is still a racer. I still consider like the Carbon X2 or Carbon X3, depending on the person, it's a performance trainer or an ultra racer. I think there's overlap there. So this is still very much an ultra racer to me. And if I was running 50 miles, it's one of the shoes I probably would end up considering. It's actually really nice. But that's why they make non-plated versions too for more daily training. And then they made the Race Rebel when in collaboration with Tommy Rives. They have that little Let's Rage decal on there um, for more of those marathon distances and kind of sprinkling itself back into the road world. But the craft has always been more of that ultra community for the most part. And so I think it's important to distinguish that because this is kind of a unique line of let's say trainer performance trainer racer, because the racer isn't as clear cut as it normally would be. In fact, I'm not even sure I would put this shoe in that same category as the, the other rebel. ones being in the CTM lineup. Yeah. Cause when I think of craft, I think of like ultra trail runners, like craft has quite a good roster when it comes to ultra trail runners. Yep. Um, and they're designing for them. Exactly. That That's kind of more the focus of the company. I mean, they're branching out a little bit and they're starting to get into the road racing world with the carbon race rebel, but their focus has always been on things much longer. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. We're going to take a quick step back. I'm going to run through some specs quick and then we can go into testing experience. So the first shoe is the CTM ultra two. This is touted as kind of more in just the, the trainer realm. It's a non-plated shoe. Um, the, all these shoes have the same stacks, 40 millimeters in the heel, 30 millimeters in the forefoot for a 10 millimeter drop. This shoe uh, is 250 grams, which is just under nine ounces, eight, 8.8 8 ounces. And, uh, yeah, that, it, and I, th- I think the, and it has a UD foam for the midsole. If we jump over to the carbon two, again, same stack height, same drop, uh, and then I believe all the same foam, you just add in a carbon plate in there. And instead of being 250 for grams, you actually go up to 262. So you get a little bit more weight, which brings it to 9.2 ounces. Um, and then finally, we have the Race Rebel. Where this is the most differentiated. has the 40, 30, 10 millimeter drop, but this one's a little bit lighter, 200 grams. And it has the UD Foam Pro. And so you have a different type of a compound that's used in, in this um, in this shoe, which makes sense for what they're trying to do with it. So you have a little bit lighter, different kind of a foam. We'll talk about what it feels like on foot. But I do think the other unique feature of at least the first two shoes, the Carbon and the just normal Ultra 2, is the outsole pattern is definitely designed for kind of this hybrid nature and We'll get into this, but I think it does a fantastic job being an actual hybrid uh, outsole shoe instead of being a, a trail shoe that can go on can go onto the roads. It it does phenomenal on the roads, and it can handle a lot of light trails. And we'll, but we'll go into that. So, like David said, they're geared towards the trails. The closest one towards road is the Race Rebel. But let's talk about them. What's been y'all's experience from a fit standpoint? 
Do they all fit kind of the same? Do they have any differences? What do you notice there? I really, I'm going to go. I really enjoyed these much more than I expected. Uh, I think I was a little nervous because I wanted to try version one and then just heard so many rough things about different parts and disappointments and things like that. I really, really enjoyed these. The upper, one of the things is it does fit wider. There's not a lot of structure up here. So if you need structure here, that's definitely been a challenge, especially locking it down. The sole has been great. I think, as Nathan mentioned, using this as a true hybrid road trail. So this is the best road tra- road hybrid, road trail hybrid. I can't talk. Um, I think I've ever experienced where I can easily transition between road and trail without even noticing and still get plenty of grip. Although this poor left side, I've worn down the nubs, but durability is still pretty good. I mean, I've got 60, 70 miles in these. And they've handled both road and trail really well. So I'm pretty, I, I've been pretty impressed by them overall. Just I think the upper security is, can be a little challenging, but I tend to like a little less here. So I'm a little biased. So you two are going to have to talk about upper stuff on that. I, I only have this one shoe. And so I'll, I'll just go quick because I don't have a whole lot to say. Plus, I only have one run in these before I've been sidelined for a little bit. So I won't say too much, but I definitely need to lock this down a lot. Thankfully, it has enough leeway where I can get some kind of lock. You can see, it, for those watching, you can see here, um, it's basically the two sides of the eyelets are touching each other because that's how tight I have to tie it for, for it to hold my foot on the platform at all. Wait, Nathan, are you are you heel locking it? Am I heel? I'm using the I, last eyelet, but I'm not doing a heel lock. You should heel lock it. Try it. Okay. It's a lot of work. Just Kidding. do it. It's, it's it takes fine. two minutes. <laughs> I, but for me, it's not even the heel that's the the really rough part. It's actually the like forefoot is has so much room that I feel like I even move in the forefoot. It's just, I, it's just a very roomy shoe, which has worked for me. I'm wearing a boot right now, and so I can put like two two full insoles in this shoe, and it makes it about the same height as my boot. So that's been good, and I have plenty of room for my foot. So that's been a positive of having that much room in here. Anyway, David, you go. No, I agree. I mean, so my experience with the uppers of the CTM line, they're all, I mean, they're all basically the same. I mean, they're the 100% polyester ultralight mesh. Fun fact, they put all their specs like on the shoe outside of drop ratio, but they have it all written down there, like the line of it, uh, what the upper is made out of, the midsole compound, um, and then like a little like design in Sweden, little trademark. But um, the uppers are all pretty dang similar. So that volume issue that Nathan was getting through the forefoot and midfoot, I got it too. And I think we had very similar experiences there where if I laced it up normally, I would have heel slippage issues because of how much room was there. However, once I heel locked it, it pulled that material in and I had no problems. And one of the good things is on the heel there, there's actually kind of a suede-like material right in here, and it really grabs the sock. And that's mm-hmm. on all of the models. That's not on just one of or one or two of them. So once I heel-locked it, that fit issue was solved. However, I feel like I shouldn't have to heel-lock it in order to solve that. But um, outside of that, the uppers are actually pretty lightweight. I think they're actually reinforced halfway decent. Like, I've taken them through trails and some hard turns, and I haven't had any excessive translations 
I had one semi-close call where I kind of rolled my ankle, but like it held up fine. I didn't have any like crazy stretching or anything like that. So I'm actually pretty happy with the uppers overall, like as far as the fit goes. It's just, it's that volume issue. I think if they can address that across the full lineup, I had that across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, Would you go down I think a size? No, no, I think it's true right, to size. I would not. I think it's true to size. I mean, it's, the length might be a tiny size. bit long, but like it's true to size. Yeah, it's true to size. I think it's just a matter of fixing the volume. But but the heel lock helped with the volume issue for me. And I think if so, you're somebody out there, especially doing ultra or long distance running, and you want to shoot with more volume, this actually might work really, really well for you. It's like for me, my feet tend to swell. So like this has been a great shoe for some longer miles because it can handle that and I don't feel like things get pinched. So that's where it does work. But I think people using it for shorter stuff, maybe a little, yeah, like Nathan said, you might just have to really lock that down. Yeah, and I have a more narrow foot. So you kind of get in a spectrum of feet here, which is hopefully helpful. When it comes to the, the UD foam versus the UD Pro foam, do you guys notice a difference between the two? I do, but I think it's more plate versus non-plate. Because if you look at the Carbon Ultra versus the just the regular Ultra, the, the regular Ultra feels a lot softer. Than the Ultra it's, Carbon? Yeah, yes. It's, and, and it's the same midsole. Not that this one isn't soft and compliant and whatever, but whatever they use for their plate material is pretty firm. And so that firms this shoe up quite a bit. Not a bad thing. Like, I really, really like this shoe. I like them both. But for daily training, I've actually really enjoyed this. And I like that there's some forefoot flexibility. Their rocker design is actually done pretty well, I think. And the traction underfoot's great. Um, from a foam standpoint, there's a little bit more responsiveness in the UD Pro foam, I think. I The way I put it in my review is I say, quote-unquote, responsive enough. The shoe relies much more on its geometry and its plate design. Um, I still have run several 5.0-minute miles in that shoe fine. Like, it's not like you can't run fast in it, and the weight is still pretty good. Um, but with that said, it's just not as poppy as some of these other new generation shoes. But it's still really rhythmic. It's still very protective. It's still lightweight for the category. I mean, if you have 40 millimeters of stack and you're looking at seven and a half ounces roughly, that's still pretty good. So I think for the right person, this could be a shoe worth looking at. But for me, I still think it's that marathon plus. I don't quite think of it as a half marathon or down racer. And really, even for the marathon distance, I still have a hard time choosing that over other options that are out there at the moment. So the midsole itself, it's it's lightweight, it's protective, it's got those things. It's a little bit firmer than some of the other foams out there. I'm not going to say this is a super foam. It isn't. And on their website, it definitely, I mean, they say it's 100% EVA. It's their own proprietary blend of some kind. And it feels that way. And that's not a bad thing per se, but it's just, um, that's just the shoe. It's, it almost feels like a baby between the uh, Hoka Carbon X and the Saucony Endorphin Pro to me. It's got a similar speed roll-like feel that the Sauconys give me, but I have a little bit more of that kind of Carbon X-like protection or EVA feel, I guess. Specifically for the Race Rebel or both Race Rebel and the Carbon, Ultra Carbon 2? 
That's a good question. Um, for the race rebel. Race rebel. Okay. I hate to say it, but this is almost like basically it's it's a little bit heavier, but it's almost like that Cadillac Carbon X. It feels <laughs> it feels a lot nicer, but it is heavier to me. Um, yeah. It's got more underfoot too. Yeah, but as far as the whole endorphin comparison, I would say that's more race rebel. That race rebel slash carbon X hybrid baby, you know. So they're like it's it's like I said, it's like responsive enough. It's not it's not that responsive in comparison to say the Nike Vaporfly Zoom X, the Audios Pro Light Strike, you know, Flight Foam Turbo from ASICs. It's not like that. It's nothing like that. Um, you're looking more at like you're almost like on flight foam versus like Hoka compressed molded EVA. Like it's more down that rabbit hole of things, but there's a lot of it and it's lightweight. So the shoe itself does actually run pretty fast. It's just it's it's not that next gen shoe that you might be looking for, but you might not need that if you want something a little bit firmer and still a little bit closer to the ground. Good traction. I mean, the traction on this is actually really good compared to most of the other racing shoes on the market, I think. Um, you want a little bit more of a stable platform. I think it's not a bad option. Um, yeah. I know Matt has some different feelings, but... Yeah, we, just back to that original question for you, Matt. Could you feel the difference between the UD Foam and the UD Foam Pro? Yes, but probably not in the way that craft was hoping where i actually really like the ud foam and i think we've talked about here that yeah there's some new foams out there but we don't we're not hating on eva it can still be done well and it still has a place and i think the ultra carbon 2 just has done such a great thing for me where it's like it's got the plate and same thing with the ultra 2 where it's it's got enough bounce but it's not un, it's not super unstable there's some things geometry they do really well and I still like that I can still move pretty quick on the trails and a little bit on the roads in this shoe. Like, I really enjoy running in it and done workouts in it. Um, it almost doesn't feel like EVA. It feels like it's just got a little bit of bounce to it, but it's subtle. Whereas, I have to be honest, I have not enjoyed running in this, where I've just found that it's firm. I haven't felt like there's any... And I'm, maybe I'm spoiled because I'm, you know, been training in other... like or not training, but doing workouts in Audios Pro 2 or other shoes like that, that like next generation foams, stuff like that. You're talking but, about the Race Rebel right now. Yeah, the Race Rebel. I'm sorry for not yeah. for not clarifying the, for the, the uh, podcast listeners. But I found this foam to be really firm, not have bounce to it. And the shoe to actually be so stiff. I was getting some calf spasms the first time I tried to take this out and had to switch out to another shoe. And then I took it back later and did some strides and broke it in. So this is the plate is stiff enough and the foam is firm enough that I had to take some time to break this in. And I think I'm just challenged from a price point that I, you know, there's some other stuff out there that's cheaper. And I think that this is a good attempt, but I think this needs to get reworked a little bit just because it's not very responsive. It's not as responsive as I would like. And I think David's much faster than me. So maybe you are pushing this in an area um, that I maybe can't, but yeah, I wasn't a big fan. I found the phone to, to answer your question, found it, the phone to be firmer, but not necessarily in a snappy way. I think once I got moving and did some yeah. strides, I could feel the plate, but the foam, I actually like the UD foam better because I felt like I got more bounce out of that than the UD Pro. Yeah, and to, to put that on the record, I actually, I actually agree. Out of all three of the shoes, my favorite are indeed these two shoes. 
It's it's not so much the ultra, I think it's the ultra and the ultra carbon. The ultra, yeah, the ultra and the ultra carbon. And it's not so much necessarily as a shoe itself. I think it's more for the intended use. Now, for daily training, this actually is one of my favorite shoes right now. I actually really like the CTM Ultra. I really like the CTM Ultra Carbon as well, but for me, it's a little bit more of a long run shoe. Like the plate's a little bit too much sauce for daily mileage for me. Um, But the midsole, like I said, it's not really like a new generation midsole. It's pretty firm and the shoe relies a lot on its geometry. So it's like once you get up to speed, it keeps you rolling, but you don't really get anything out of it. That that's the best way I can put it. The the Cloud Boom Echo was a shoe I kind of have an almost similar experience where I, I things moved a little bit better with the Cloud Boom Echo, but it was it was not a shoe that like oh I feel fast running in this shoe right. And the Cloud Boom Echo gives me that a little bit, but this one was just like I really have to work to run fast in there. Once I get up to pace, it's it's okay, but I think maybe we're getting spoiled by some of the efficiency stuff that's that's out there that we talked about earlier. But yeah, I think. No, I, I agree completely because I remember distinctively before the workout and I was like, oh my goodness, I got to go split like 10, 10 through this two mile right now. And I'm like, and, and then it doesn't stop there. Like it was a longer tempo, you know, but it was like an in and out tempo. But the first two miles were 10, 10. And I'm like, I got to go run five Oh five twice in these. And I'm like, oh, man, here we go. And then, mm-hmm. like, once I sent it and I got up to speed, then it was it was OK. But it wasn't really like it's not something that I'm like, oh, yeah, let me go grab that. You know what I mean? But I could almost see myself running and I hate to say it, but like it almost seems like a nice ultra shoe too, lightweight, rhythmic, something I'm not really running super fast in, like something up tempo, but controlled. But again, that's what this is for. Yeah. So. I think I'm, I appreciate them coming into the road, like racing market. It's not a bad shoe. I think it'll work for some people, but it's just not, it's not that next generation shoe that like a lot of people are probably hoping for. Some it's of just, the potential benefit that these shoes are giving to some people, you know, like the Vaporfly, the Alpha Fly, the Metaspeed Sky, you're probably not going to get that here. Doesn't mean that it, that's only one piece of the equation for choosing a shoe. But at uh, at that higher price point, if you're going to go buy a really expensive shoe, you might as well buy the one that might actually give you some some benefit in all the realms, including, I mean, like, if this is the most comfortable shoe for you, then cool. But it sounds like you guys aren't saying, like, hey, this is one to, the Race Rebel isn't the one to go jump over the top for. No, and I think there is some potential. I think it's just a matter of its whole composition, really. I mean, I actually really like their rocker designs on all three the of these. The rocker's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think... I think the shoe itself, like the, like it's the components are there. I think they're just missing that special piece as far as that road racing component goes. Rocker's good. The foam, I think the UD foam is, is really functional for, for daily mileage. And I think the outsole for people in Stevens point, not that that's a huge population of people. (laughs) I've got like 30,000 people in the like, within 30 minutes of here, but, um, you know, that having an outsole that has some of these, you know, depth within the rubber allows these to work great on shoot or on road, but also go on to, we have the green circle, which is crushed granite or crushed gravel or something. I'm it's late on a Sunday. I'm, I'm tired. And we just got back from St. Louis today and drove eight hours. So I'm exhausted, but 
my point is this is kind of one of those perfect hybrid shoes for people in snares like that where there's a little road to trail stuff going on except the uppers so the, i think the upper is not is needs some work and then on the racing side it needs some work now if you have a high volume foot that that might be good for you because it that, that could change for things for but sure totally agree with nathan the the outsole i i it's held up to me so this is 60 miles okay That's- this for me. Like if there's anything this, left, there, the fact there's anything left is good. We've had several emails and comments about this recently on some other shoes, but um, I totally agree with Nathan. Uh, it uh, the outsole is is great and works for like tr- is truly like a multi surface outsole, which is great and something that I feel like a lot of companies say but don't, don't always execute. Off. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Well, this is great. This is our first round in any sort of craft shoes, so it's been a it's been a good first experience to just see what what's their baseline. This is their second round of shoes that they're really running, coming into the run specialty market with. So it's been nice for us to get some testing on it. Our full reviews are going to drop on DoctorsRunning.com upcoming here. I won't be getting mine out for a while, but these two guys, and then we have um, I think Megan has a pair that she's getting some miles on as well. So those will be out. You'll be able to read our full reviews there. But it is time for us to wrap things up. And so we appreciate you guys all coming with us on this journey today. It's been more of a fun conversation about shoes today, more than diving deep into some science. But we have a really fun lineup of episodes coming. And like I said, some good guests over the next six months that are we're really excited to have on. And if you guys want to answer our subjective uh, segment and, and answer that question about your favorite racing shoe, please, again, drop that into the comments on YouTube or through Spotify, or you can email us at doctorsrunning at gmail.com. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, keep up with what we're doing, and we'll catch you all next time. <laughs>